Hey Dad Jokers, it's Christian here. Just wanted to let you know before we start today's episode that we know we had a little technical glitch where our audio equipment just didn't work as it normally is supposed to. Chris's regular microphone didn't record, and so we only recorded through his laptop microphone. So that might be why you notice that I sound normal and Chris sounds like he's in a bit of a fishbowl. Anyway, producer Ryan asked me to record this disclaimer so no one blames him for the audio. Smart move on his part. He always gives us a checklist, and we do our very best to follow it, and from now on, I promise we will. But hey, not only are we new dads, but we're new to podcasting too. Anyway, thanks for sticking with us. We're really excited about this week's episode. We hope you are too. Hello, Christopher. How was your week? Excellent, my friend. Excellent, Christian. I had a, I had a great week. It was, it was pretty uneventful, as a typical pandemic week probably is, but a good week nonetheless. How about you? Uh, yeah, can't really complain. Um, you know, same kind of thing. I feel like the weeks just kind of roll together right now because we're not doing a whole lot else instead of, you know, working home and, and that's everything, which, again, I'm certainly not going to complain about. But yeah, nothing hugely uh, eventful. But, it's hard to uh, believe that that was a year ago. I mean, like almost exactly like, a year yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, seriously. When we were talking about borders shutting down. Um, specifically just, you know, Canada, US, because I know we were trying to get together in things. So it was, um, yeah, pretty crazy that it's literally been 365 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the is... last time we saw each other face to face would have been uh, the Super Bowl, I think, right? Uh, about a year and a month ago. Uh, no, because we did no, the no, Sense no. games. Yeah, it was Sense the Sense game. game. Yeah, yeah. What am so I, I came up You're to, yeah. Right. And that was like the 29th of February. So that was, so yeah, I mean, we're just eclipsing over a year, but uh gracious but crazy to think that that even of itself was a year ago feels like forever ago but not at the same time Mm. but you had a pretty uh excellent fathering milestone that you said happened this week still sleeping yeah still sleeping through the night we're now uh i think eight days running it's going super super well i don't know if i can really say this counts as like through the night so we put her down at maybe about eight eight in the evening <clears throat> and then i give her a feeding right before i go to bed around like 10 30 11 and then that that gets us until six seven you know the other day was eight in the morning which is pretty amazing um so yeah i mean f- from our perspective it's getting us more towards like a semblance of a normal schedule which is awesome I but i think i mean yeah I, was gonna say, I think but i think when you eclipse like six consecutive hours throughout the evening i feel like that's like for a parent that's through the night yeah totally exactly especially right? when the past three months you've basically been you know on tenterhooks waiting for her to wake up every two hours so yeah i mean it's 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 amazing and it really I feel like an actual human again. Like, I feel like you, Mm -hmm. this is the biggest milestone I feel that, that we've eclipsed in the whole process, maybe other than when she started to gain weight. But yeah, this is a really incredible feeling. So, I mean, knock on wood, it's still going, but of course I'm sure she's going to start teething in one month and then I'm going to be super cranky and short on this podcast with you uh, because she's not sleeping through the night. But yeah, yeah, things are going pretty well. Did you find yourself like the first time it happened, like still waking up? like every so often to <laughs> yeah. just be like, Oh, she's dead. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That was that. That's what I was warned was the first time she sleeps through the night. You're going to be like, well, yep, this is it. Yep. Clearly, obviously. Yeah. Yep. We had a good reason. Run. Yeah, exactly. Um, definitely. You wake up in a little bit of a panic, you know, that I'm sure you've had that feeling where you wake up and you're like a little bit late for an exam or, you know, you slept through a snooze alarm and you, you know, you're kind of got to rush through the morning to get to work. I sleep like through snooze alarms. No, <laughs> no, never, never. Oh, we got to tell our, 
shower story someday. Uh, that sounds more <laughs> exciting than it is. Our Chris and Christian shower story. Ooh, that is a, that's an origin story though. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I definitely have that feeling when you kind of wake up and the first thing you think is, Oh my, I forgot about something. I forgot about her. Um, and then you realize, wait, she's not crying. Babies have their own built-in snooze alarm. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say, you know, you wake up in that little bit of a panic, but still feeling really, really good once it hits you and it sets in that you've actually slept through the night. It's good. Can I pick your brain about a medical case? Of course you can, my friend, anytime. So just for listeners, just a kind of quick update, uh, myself working mostly in general practice as well as emergency. Um, but Chris here is a uh, residency trained internal medicine specialist. Um, so I like to pick his brain about things because he has a few more letters after his name than I do. Um, uh, but Chris, no, my question was going to be, how do you go about, so I've got this dog who I believe is not only diabetic, but also is cushionoid. Um, and based off his lab work. Um, and my question is, how do you go about diagnosing and treating both of those in conjunction with one another? I've had ones before that they've had one of those endocrine diseases and then developed the other, but mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever necessarily started out with both at the same time. Yeah, it's a great, great question. Um, well, maybe just, just, I know that you know this stuff already, but just for, for the sake of our listeners, I'll just kind of briefly define what Cushing's disease is, because it's a pretty common disease that we see a lot in veterinary medicine. It's really a, a pretty well-known disease amongst uh, dogs, certainly. Very, very rare in cats, but but pretty common in dogs. Have you ever seen uh, one in cats? Now I'm just really once, curious. Once, once, yeah, okay. once. Um, this past year, it was the first time I'd ever seen it. Um, one of the really interesting clinical presentations of Cushing's disease in cats is extremely thin and fragile skin. That's really quick to tear um, and you know dogs will get a thinning of the skin but not to any kind of uh, not in any position where it clinically affects them whereas cats have this extremely brittle skin that'll tear like uh, you know like thin rice paper um, and because they are Cushingoid, they are very prone to secondary infections of these little wounds. And uh, I've never seen anything like that. The first time I, you know, this patient presented and I, it kind of rang all these alarm bells, like I've seen this before. Um, and then we went through the process of diagnosing it and lo and behold, so very interesting. Only time I've ever seen it. So Cushing's disease, um, functionally is an excess of cortisol within the body in its simple form. So the other term for Cushing's disease is hyper adrenocorticism, too much cortisol from the adrenal glands. Um, there's two main ways this can happen. You can either have a little nodule on your pituitary gland in your head that tells both of your adrenal glands, which are normal, to make more and more and more cortisol. Or you can have a nodule on your adrenal gland. So your pituitary is functioning, norm functioning normally, but one of your adrenal glands is pumping out too much cortisol. Uh, cortisol has a lot of chronic effects on the body, but in the context of diabetes, what it does is it causes insulin resistance. So insulin, its job is essentially a courier of bringing glucose from free-floating in the bloodstream and to pack it away within the cells, what we call the cupboards, to kind of pack it into the cell where it can then be used for energy. And cortisol antagonizes insulin 
right at that site of where it would be bringing glucose into the cell. And so it prevents insulin from bringing glucose into the cell, and then you get more and more glucose in circulation and not enough glucose in your cells. So your cells start to starve and they start to feed on fat in order to get the energy they need. But out in the bloodstream, you have far too much glucose, and that causes a few other problems. The glucose spills into the urine where it draws a lot of fluid in and causes lots of peeing and thus lots of drinking. So as you know, in humans, one of the first clinical signs of diabetes is to drink too much water. So you can imagine then how Cushing's disease will cause diabetes or at least increase the likelihood of the development of diabetes. Certainly diabetes is still in a significant minority of patients with Cushing's, but that's how one can promote the other. They can also occur independently uh, of each other, which is a, you know, a, another complicating feature, but that's how one can promote the other. Um, so there's a one of the difficulties is that the hallmark sign of diabetes is drinking too much and peeing too much. Um, and the hallmark sign of Cushing's disease is drinking too much and peeing too much. So that those clinical signs can be very difficult to tease apart. So the first part is to actively identify and treat the more immediately critical problem, which is diabetes. When you have hyperglycemia, a few, so too much glucose, a few things happen. Um, and but also within the cells, which don't have enough glucose, a few really important metabolic things happen. So the first thing is to identify and treat that. So if you have repeated severe hyperglycemia, so too much glucose in the bloodstream, if you have repeated and severe glucosuria, too much glucose in the urine, and if you need to test for it, an elevated fructosamine, which is sort of a chronic two to three week indicator of having too much uh, glucose within the body. It's actually measuring something else, but that's neither here nor there. Um, all those things together would say you have diabetes. And then you put the Cushing's aside for a moment and you treat the diabetes. So you treat diabetes by providing additional insulin and you wait until you have that under control. You really shouldn't test for Cushing's at all if they are sick with their diabetes. So if they are presenting with diabetic ketoacidosis and they are actively sick and ill, testing for Cushing's could be um, inaccurate. And so I wouldn't even test for it. So treat the diabetes first and get that under control. And there are very specific markers for it that are totally separate from Cushing's. Then once that's been treated, the patient is healthy and happy and doing well. The standard uh, cortisol tests that you would do uh, to evaluate for Cushing's at that point in the absence of stress and the absence of illness should be fairly reliable indicators. So those are endocrine testing and then imaging. So imaging would be an ultrasound to look at the adrenal glands. If you see an adrenal nodule or you see both adrenal glands measuring pretty big, that's one piece of evidence that supports Cushing's disease. But then the more reliable endocrine test that I would use, Christian, in this situation would be my kind of standard for Cushing's is to start with a urine cortisol creatinine ratio, um, mm. which is essentially, you know, you collect that at home when they're not stressed and they're in a period of good health. That's a screening test. So if it's negative, you can rely on it being negative. But if it's positive, you still need to follow up with something. And then the low dose dexamethasone suppression test should be uninterfered with in a diabetic patient. What becomes complicated at that point is if you successfully diagnose Cushing's disease, you'll probably start a medication called trilostane. Um, and if you start trilostane and start reducing cortisol in the body, you may also then start to reduce insulin resistance in the body, which means your insulin dose might gradually become too high and you have to start backing it off. So I would, I would diagnose the diabetes first, 
treat with insulin first, make sure that they're in a state of good health, then do your routine endocrine and imaging tests for Cushing's. And then once you start trilostane, keep doing blood glucose curves every seven to 10 days after that. Now, traditionally, we've done blood glucose curves by bringing the pet back into the hospital and you give them their insulin and you test glucose manually every two hours and it involves quite a lot of work from, you know, a lot of needle sticks, a lot of blood, a lot of work from your technicians. Um, and so you've probably seen commercials on TV for the Freestyle Libre. This little I was just going to ask you about continuous glucose monitoring. Yeah, exactly. So this is a, a device in humans where you essentially attach it to the body. A little needle goes right into the skin and has the ability to to test a very, very small amount um, of interstitial fluid um, on command, essentially, um, and actually continuously. I shouldn't say on command. The, the reading is on command, but it's testing it continuously. Um, it is absolutely, in my opinion, going to rapidly become the standard of care. Uh, at the last hospital I was at in for, for dogs, for canine patients, it's all we would use for a stable diabetic. Um, we would still put them on diabetic ketoacidotic patients and just test it, just read it in the hospital over and over again. Uh, it is so much lower stress, lower pain for the patient, uh, less workload on your technicians, quite frankly, more accurate, more reliable, um, and, uh, and owners really like it as well. So that's, that would be one good way that once you start trilostane in that Cushingoid patient, to keep an eye on what the glucose is doing at home on a continuous basis to see if you need to reduce your insulin dose at all. And then the owners can actually like, there's like an app on their phone, right? That they can use that literally they can like scan the the little monitor and exactly. all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So it comes with this little monitor that all you have to do is you pass it over it, just like you're scanning for a microchip. It's like a QR and code. But exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, like you're, yeah, like you're kind of scanning them at the supermarket and it'll immediately tell a you BG what the code? <laughs> I'll work on it. I guess it's not BG, it's really interstitial, but whatever, that's not the point. And yeah, I mean, it's, um, uh, so what you can do is you can look back and see what the last 24 hours have been like, what the last 48 hours have been like, trends over a week. Um, so yeah, they're, they're pretty amazing. Um, and that's something that I would definitely use in a, in a cushion wide patient. So bottom line is, uh, identify and treat the diabetes first. And then once it's stable, identify and treat the Cushing second, and then third, keep an eye on the diabetes, which could be affected by your Cushing's treatment. That's how I would go about that. Right on. I appreciate your Ted talk. That was good. Bad, man. No, I appreciate that. Well, uh, do you want to, shall we get started? Do you want to load it up? Yeah, one second though. Before we do, I just got it. Hold on. I hope this comes through well. Hold on. Did that sound as good as it sounded over on my end? Yeah, that sounded perfect. I'm okay. thirsty. I have to take a drink now. Okay. Well, if if not, Ryan can maybe crisp it up and just make it sound good. But yeah, okay. Now I'm ready to load it up. So let's do it. Welcome to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Chris with my co-host Christian, and we're back for another week to talk about things that affect dads um, and, uh, and adulthood and all those great things. Um, we'd like to thank all the people who make this possible. Vishal Murthy, the vet cartoonist, for all of the wonderful illustrations. Michael Spicer, check him out, Michael Spicer Music, for all of this incredible and original music. We can't thank you enough. And our long-suffering producer, Ryan. Ryan, I'm so sorry. 
uh, he just, he, there's always something that, uh, that I need to be doing and I don't do it for him. So thank you, producer Ryan, for everything that you do. Um, we'd like to welcome you back to another episode here. And uh, we have a little bit of news. We now have a Twitter account, uh, thanks to Christian. So check us out, at Loading Dad. Uh, once again, that's at Loading Dad. Hit us up. Um, and also, and we'll be keeping you updated with new episodes as they drop. And perhaps most importantly of all, we would really, really love to hear from you. Um, give us a shout at the dad joke loading podcast at gmail.com dad joke loading podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and, uh, and we'd love to, uh, to have a chat about being dads, about being adults, um, and everything in between, even sports. If you want really we're we're flexible with all of it. So, uh, we're just going to dive right into our first topic this week. We're going to be talking about what you wish people had told you. Christian and I like to think that we were pretty prepared as dads, but the, the honest truth is that there's always going to be something that you're not well prepared for, that you wish somebody had told, uh, that had told you or kind of prepared you better for, or that you had read, we should, you wish you had read more about or just been more emotionally prepared for. So Christian, I'm going to start off with just a few basic questions about okay. some of the rougher parts of dadhood and whether you, were, you felt prepared for them or not, whether they were as bad as people said they would be, um, whether they were kind of overhyped and not that bad, um, whether that's better or worse than you thought. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So first off, the biggest one, um, did you feel prepared for the lack of sleep? No, not at all. Um, I knew it was coming. Um, but I think my wife would be the first one to say, and pretty much everybody that knows me, I am less than human without a decent amount of sleep. So even though I knew it was coming, I knew that was something I was going to struggle with. So I don't know that I could have prepared for it. Um, but that was definitely, uh, definitely hard on both my wife and I, um, more so me, she's a rock star, but uh, cool. definitely hard on me. So I don't know that I could have prepared for it. Um, but, uh, no, that one, that one definitely hit me. Well, no, I'll say it hit me probably about as much as I thought it would, because I knew I was going to be bad at it. Um, and do you think it's sort of like a, a chronic lack of sleep and sort of a general exhaustion? Or is it something more specific, like the ability to get up in the middle of the night or the having to wake up early in the mornings? Is there one part of it that you felt more specifically you you kind of weren't ready for, or kind of took away more of your sleep than you were expecting? No, I think it's just the chronicity of it, to be honest with you. Because, I mean, as you well know, um, as we live next door to each other for, you know, three years, we can pull the all nighter, you know, we're not that yeah. old, you know, we could do that every once in a while, but I think it's the just constant, just not able to catch up, um, and constantly just being a little bit tired all the time. And then actually having to, you know, in some cases, whatever, go to work, you know, after a period of time and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So I would say, you no, know, it's probably more the chronicity of it. Because it's not like, oh, I just got to get through the night and then I can have a nap all day because that well, that baby's up all day. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those just unable to recover the lost hours, I guess, yeah. over time is probably the biggest thing. I think that's really, really well said. Um, and I think that's something I also wasn't really prepared for. And I'm glad you said it that way as well. It's, uh, you know, I knew there'd be early mornings. I knew I'd have to get up in the middle of the night. I was almost kind of psyched up for it and ready for it. And in some ways, that wasn't quite as bad as I thought it would be. What the problem is, is that if you do that every single day, day after day after day, you, you know, I don't think I ever realized how much of a quite literally 
365 day a year job it is. You do not get an off day where you can catch up on sleep. So if you work Monday to Friday and have like a rough week and you're tired, you think Saturday I'm going to sleep in, but you can't, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily get that off. You and your, your partner, um, you know, can trade each other off a little bit and give each other spells of rest, but it's never like it was where you could just rock a solid 12 hours and get up late, you know? Oh, and it's even like you, like you mentioned, like my days off are often more tiring than my days at work, mm, mm. you know, because Go I don't on. have Tell a, me more about that. Well, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a toddler to chase after at work. You know, right. typically the animals just come to me, <laughs> you know, it's a different, it's a different type of tiring, I guess, but, uh, equal amount of poop, I suppose. But, uh, although I, uh, well, probably not though. Cause I don't generally have, I am very lucky. I have, you know fellow staff members who are typically the poop cleaners at work. Whereas I, I can't just look around and be like, can I get a mop? I don't have that at home. I'm the mop. All right. Well, that, that transitions well into my next question. Did you feel that you were ready for, let, let's just say poop in general because of, you know, it smells, it's kind of right there, but the diaper changes, did you feel well prepared for that? I will say that I, I, I do feel like I did pretty well from the get-go with the diaper changes themselves. I know we talked a little bit in a previous episode just about, like, what different poop meant. Um, mm. I didn't necessarily realize how much of that there was. So I did, didn't realize that I would be, and I certainly wasn't prepared to be that invested in the actual color consistency and amount of poop. Mm. Um, I probably was more focused. Maybe I was getting myself psyched for just how gross it was going to be. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it was like, wait a minute, there was only this much and it's green and, or yellow. And what does that mean? So I don't know that I was prepared for that more so from a curiosity standpoint, not that it was overwhelming perhaps, but like, I didn't realize how much, like I mentioned, we talked in a previous episode that I would hyper analyze that, I guess. Right. Um, right. but, uh, I don't think I was too overwhelmed by the actual diaper changes themselves. Um, and, uh, I mean, a poo explosion is gross if you're prepared for it or not. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, and that it always kind of sits in your nose for like, you know, a good, like couple of minutes afterwards <laughs> that you're thinking it's still on your hand. Yeah. Um, but, um, so I don't think I was necessarily overwhelmed of that, but maybe the actual amount of focus on poop up front mm. was something that I don't know that I was prepared for. Since we're focusing on poop, let me let me ask you a question that's kind of been nagging at me. I'm still in this early, beautiful, three-month, baby-always-smells-clean phase where the poop doesn't really smell all that bad. You know, there's just kind of like a mild, you know... You know, it's it's there if you sure. if you get real into it. But I've heard once they start a little bit of the solid food and non-milk that there is a <laughs> there is a change in character, uh, let's say, uh, that that can blow out a room. Did you notice that change? Is that something I should be worried about? Uh, that is something that I am so excited for the first episode that we record <laughs> after you get that solid poop. Nice. Um, because it, I, I don't think it's any. You know, it's not more gross to clean up or anything like that, but I mean, it's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a change in, in all of it, um, for sure. Um, and they definitely, that's when the true, I think, poo explosions really come is, but they're also getting bigger too, right? So just in sheer volume, because stomach con, you know, stomach is bigger, amount they're eating is bigger, all that type of stuff. Um, so there's going to be a lot more of it, but I feel like that's really when the kind of, for at least for us, the poo explosions really kind of started. 
um, mm. was when they started to digest the solid foods and things like that. But oh, it, it certainly was not overwhelming by any means, but uh, maybe not overwhelming, but pungent. <laughs> if I can use that word. I like that. It's the title of this one. Not overwhelming, but pungent. <laughs> All right. Since we're talking about frequency, um, you know, we go through so many diapers, mm -hmm. you know, we go through so much stuff. Were you ready for the cost of having a child? Did you feel that you were well prepared for how expensive a child is um, and all the things that you'd need to buy? Uh, or did you feel uh, that you were not well prepared for that and you weren't totally aware of how much it was going to cost? I'm going to answer that in two parts, I think, um, because I think from a child supply standpoint, so diapers, that type of thing, I think that we were well prepared. And I think really because my wife's best friend is a mother of five and uh, she did uh, a really good job of kind of just answering a lot of questions and we got a lot of hand-me-downs, which was nice. Um, so I think from that standpoint, we were um, maybe not well prepared because I don't know that any new parent, especially your first kid, you're never prepared really for anything. It's just whether you get overwhelmed with what you're dealing with, I think is really the question. But um, so I don't think we were super overwhelmed with that necessarily, but the one thing I had no idea about, which in hindsight, well, I guess hindsight always you have a different perspective, but just the general amount of stuff mm. that you need. So you're like, yeah, they have a crib. They have a high chair eventually. Yeah, they have a bassinet. Yeah, they have some diapers. But I mean, toys, books, things to keep them uh, entertained. Uh, you know, all those types of things, even just if you're going somewhere. I remember pre-COVID when we went to visit my parents, you know, it was like we were packing up for a week's vacation. And you don't think about it because, I mean, when you and I go visit each other, we like barely bring anything, right? Like we just kind of like <laughs> yeah. jump in the car. Almost you know, literally. Almost like sometimes literally. literally. <laughs> like when I, when we went for, so we talked about in the, at the beginning of this episode, when we, uh, the last time we saw each other, you know, I came up to, to up your way. We went to Ottawa, stayed at your, uh, at your mom's house. And I mean, I barely brought, like I had a duffel bag, quote unquote, but it was really just like a set of boxers and another shirt. Like you basically, right? Like basically it was, it was very minimal. And now I'm sitting there with, you know, a pack and play another, you know, three bags, a diaper bag, all her toys, stuff for the car, mm -hmm. you know, just all this type of stuff. You, I don't think I realized how much of that there was going to be. But again, in hindsight, when you like think about, you know, you see people out with their kids and they just have like, you know, three bags each and all this stuff. And you're like, oof, don't envy that, yeah. you know, but now I'm just like, oh, no, I am that. hundred um, percent. That, yeah, that, that's that, the big thing I noticed. That absolutely would have been my answer to this question that I was not ready for like the the extra stuff, like the the extra accoutrement, you know, just the fact that I remember always looking and being like, I don't want to carry all those bags around. What do you need all this plastic stuff for? I think I remember if any of my, you know, I'm sure some of my friends are listening to this. I remember saying early on, like going to Bye Bye Baby, you know, a big baby box store and looking at those little drying racks for bottles and making some kind of joke, like, um, look at all the crazy stuff they make. Who needs all of this? Who could possibly mm -hmm. need all of this? Yep. I am now the proud owner of that baby bottle drying rack. Uh, in addition to and it's like, a lifesaver, <laughs> it honestly is like, you don't quite get it before you have it, but now you understand. Now, of course you could live without it. I mean, you really could. And sure, you know, I mean, you know, we might all have different opinions on how much, 
each of those things is worth it. But I was not ready for just the sheer volume of plastic and rubber that, that I'd be drowning in. So, um, yeah, I totally, I totally hear you that it's like the cost for food and diapers, but not so much the cost of the other stuff. But the other thing too, which I'm excited for you to kind of, uh, experience as well as you go just, I mean, as they grow so rapidly in the first couple of years, you're constantly needing new stuff, Mm. right? It's the, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, when they're, you know, teens and preteens and they're constantly growing out of clothes, but they just do it rapidly right off the beginning too. And, um, and so it's just always getting, yeah, getting new stuff for their developmental, you know, state, um, you know, zero to three months, three to six, six to 12, like all these types of things that you're just like, really? And then you're just like, oh no, okay. Yeah, no, they need new stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, That's thankfully cool. there's secondhand places for that and friends who have kids that you can just be like, here's my stuff. Oh, totally. And that's such good advice for any like prospective dads out there. Um, yeah, do take advantage of secondhand shops and friends who are passing things down. Don't because- buy anything until you literally have sucked all your friends dry of all their extra baby stuff. Yeah, because you will be shocked of how many people that are like, oh, my gosh, you want this? Take it, please. And you're yeah. like, this is like fifteen hundred dollars at the store. And they're like, I do not care. Take it. please. <laughs> yeah. It has been just accruing dust. And I have to give my wife so much credit on this front because there are so many things that I, as a total jerk, you know, remember seeing when they came in the front door and being thinking in my head like, oh, we don't need that. And now here I am three months later on my hands and knees saying like, thank you. Thank you so much for getting that. I mean, if it wasn't for her, I would be drowning in dirty diapers everywhere. And instead I've got this diaper genie. It's incredible. Honestly. I mean, engineering these days, I can't even get started. The house smells like sunshine. It's amazing. Anybody who knows either or both of our wives is knows for a fact that both of us were just like, come on, do we really need that? And then our wives were just like, oh, yeah, we need that. We were like, oh, okay. And then now we're just like, thank you, honey, for getting that. They're (laughs) so much smarter than us, honestly. Oh, absolutely. Like, really. Like, I mean, especially in this area, just unbelievable. Thank thank you. I don't don't think she's listening. I hope she's not listening. But thank you, if you are. Um, So (laughs) my last question about, uh, speaking of, about uh, things that you may or may not have been prepared for. Um, There's just the sheer amount of work and I'm going to ask it in two ways, the sheer amount of work for your wife and the sheer amount of work for you. Um, were you expected for that? Uh, sorry, were, were you prepared for that? Did you expect that? Um, were you ready for that amount of work? Did I expect it? Yes. Was I prepared for it? No. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, and again, I don't think anybody's really prepared for it. Um, cause you're kind of figuring a lot of it out as you go. Um, but I will say, that I was completely unaware of all of the work and the toll that it took and takes on my wife and just how well she is handling all of it. Um, she is, uh, she continually surprises me every day uh, with just how great a mother she is. And right off the bat, and I mean, nope, like, they don't have training. Like it's yeah, not like it's they amazing. like it's, it's amazing. I, it's and the, and she just kind of started being a mom, and it was like mind-boggling to me. Um, so that was something that um 
I was going to say that completely surprised me. Not that she was going to start being a mom. Of course she was going to do that. But I mean, just with, um, and I'm sure she'll sit there and be like, I had no idea what I was doing. I hate it. Like, you know, it was stressful, blah, 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 and all this type of stuff. And I'm sure a lot of that is true. Um, you know, the stress part and all that, but just how well she handled it right from the beginning and kind of was just like, all right, here we go. Like, yeah, we're absolutely. parents now. Whereas I'm just like, well, you know, if we think about this or whatever, and she's like, Christian, just change the diaper. And I'm like, okay, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, my wife definitely took the lead, um, out, uh, out of the gate, um, to, for us to kind of figure this kind of stuff out. And I was completely, um, fine to allow that to happen. Um, yeah. you know, in terms of, I was just like, yeah, I've absolutely, I'm going to defer to you on this and you tell me what to do and I will do it. Cause as Chris, I know we've talked about before, you know, the initial stages, right. Our job is almost to just take care of mom. So mom can take care of baby. Um, and I know we've kind of discussed that a little bit before, but, um, no, I was not, I was not prepared for that. And I was certainly even, uh, surprised, but then, you know, pleasantly surprised of just like how, yeah, much of a rock star of my wife was right off the bat. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, it's not something I wish someone had told me beforehand, but it's definitely something I wasn't prepared for is, is, uh, or I should say I wasn't expecting is just that incredible change in a human, you know, to go from someone just like me to someone who is just this incredible, you know, life sustaining human being. Uh, I mean, it's really amazing to see that happen. And, um, it's so, so impressive. Um, so I'm going to bring it down now, just before we close out to the very substance of this question, which is of all these things we've talked about or things we haven't talked about, if you, if you could kind of rewind, you know, two years to when your wife was pregnant and before you were a dad, what is there, what's the one thing that you wish someone had told you, um, that, that, you know, would have made your life a little bit easier if someone had told it to you before you were a dad? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think, I think the thing that I, I'll, I'll say this based on maybe what I've, I say what I've gone through. That makes it sound like I've you know gone through this like major trauma or something. That's not what I meant. But I, I think of what my wife and I have experienced is just making sure that you take care of each other um, throughout the process because it's very easy to get lost in just being a, uh, like a, a parent, right? Um, and making that just all that you are. Um, because, I mean, you're so focused on your child, rightfully so. Um, but you also have to stay focused on each other, taking care of your each other and yourself. So you mentioned kind of spelling each other off, you know, or, or, or that type of thing. Um, I think that's something that if I could reinforce anything to prospective parents... Um, it would be that, um, that yes, your child is your whole world. And I will, that, you know, that is something that, uh, I continue to learn and, um, will, will not disagree with, but at the same time, you are still yourselves in every sense of that word and need to maintain that. Otherwise you will lose yourself. Um, and so I think just making sure that you are, um, taking care of your, uh, spouse or partner, um, in their needs as much as, uh, as your own. Man, that is so well said and so funny because that's almost, almost exactly the same thing that I wrote. Isn't that funny? Uh, what I wrote was support the other person and trust that they are going to support you. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's sort of like, 
there's there's this natural inclination, probably you know ingrained over over millennia of of evolution, that your first concern is always going to be whether your child is is happy and has their needs fulfilled. But I wish someone had told me, and I would encourage others to kind of bring your eyes up a little bit and try to read this person that you're with, your partner, and be like, what do what do they need? Are, are they hungry right now? Are they tired right now? Or do they need a diaper change right now? Like, how can I make <laughs> their life better in this moment? Um, you know, and it's so it's so easy that you you both end up focusing <clears throat> on the child, uh, which of course is important. I mean, you got to do it for them to survive. But um, you are going to help yourself so much. You're going to help your relationship and avoid conflict if you just look at them and be like, "How can I help them today?" Um, and and not just necessarily in a tangible way. Like sometimes it's just they need to talk about something, and also just kind of trust that the other person is going to do the same back to you. Um, yeah, and if you're if you're tired, have a nap. You know, like don't don't put too much pressure on yourself. And I think nobody really talks about that before you have a kid because we're all kind of inclined not to talk about the emotional side of it. You know, we talk about, Oh, you're not going to get a lot of sleep. eh? Oh, poopy diapers. eh? but we're not, we're not as comfortable being like, you can take pressure off of yourself. You can take care of your wife more than you can take care of your kid. You're not a bad guy for doing that. Um, so that, that's definitely my mind as well. So interesting that we had the same answer, but it's and, also, uh, if I can just say like, that's also not, by doing that, you're also taking care of your child, right? Because if your partner, you know, in our case, our wives, you know, if they're not at be able to be at their best, you know, because they're not feeling well, then they're obviously not going to be able to be the best version of what they, you know, of a mother that they want to be, right? So it's, it's, it's not, it's not selfish to do those things, because those things then are directly supporting your child at the same time. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are just like, Oh, I can't take any time for myself because you know, my kids needs me or, 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 or this and that. But I mean, by taking care of yourself, you are being a better version of yourself for your child. Mm, yeah. Um, well that's, that's very well said. Um, I, I will say very lightly that, uh, perhaps in a bit of a lighter way, I kind of wish someone had told me how much fucking stuff there would be around the house. So oh, much fucking God. stuff. <laughs> but we're going to take a break here on the dad joke loading podcast and we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Christian, if you see a robbery at an Apple store, does that make you an eyewitness? <laughs> Welcome to Dad Joke of the Week. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Christian, you know, do you know how you can make holy water? Uh, I actually do know how you can make holy water. Well, you, tell me then, my friend. You boil the hell out of it. <laughs> you sure do boil the hell out of it. You sure do. You know, we were talking about things that make you frustrated. So I'm, I'm wondering, if a child refuses to sleep during nap time, are they guilty of resisting arrest? Oh, I, <laughs> I heard the joke coming as you were saying it. And yeah, mm -hmm. they are. They are definitely yeah. guilty. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, one of the... I love, I love all these puns and dad jokes, but I have a hard time with it. You know, I'm, I'm only familiar with 25 letters in the English language. I don't know why. But I'm Chang. <laughs> oh dear. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to finish with my favorite dad joke. This is my actual dad joke of the week because it genuinely made me laugh. 
A woman is on trial for beating her husband to death with his guitar collection. My God, morbid, right? So the judge says, first offender? She says, no, first to Gibson, then offender. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. That's funny. For, uh, I love being a dad. Uh, it's so good. Because you don't even care if anyone else laughs. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Is that what it what being a dad is? Is just this outrageous self confidence in your own humor that you're really not trying to be the funniest person in the room. You're trying to be the funniest person in your own head. I don't know if that is necessarily confidence or just like complete lack of shame. <laughs> or, are those the same thing? I don't know. That's anyway, it's a, a philosophical question. I like that. Next podcast episode. <laughs> is it confidence or lack of shame? Tune in next time. Uh, but uh, speaking of next time, we'll jump into our next topic here um, on the Dad Joke Loading podcast. And uh, Chris, I, I'm really interested in your perspective on this. Um, and what I wanted to talk about was uh, it's kind of a two part uh, kind of topic here. But things that you remember um, vividly that your parents instilled in you as a child and whether that is life lessons, uh, hobbies, interests. Um, you know, favorite sports teams, you know, the, that type of thing. Um, and then I'm going to get into a little bit in terms of how, if if you feel like that has influenced you as a father or both of you as parents um, in kind of the way that you are planning to raise um, your child. Um, so I'll, I'll just start out with quickly and just uh, ask right off the top, are there particular life lessons and then I'll go and then I'll ask the same thing kind of about hobbies or interests that you vividly remember your parents instilling in you uh, when you were younger. Mm, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I could talk about that for hours. So I guess I should mention a little bit, uh, a little bit of backstory that might be important for context. Um, so I had, a, I mean, a little bit of an atypical um, childhood, not, 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 nothing crazy. So my, um, my parents uh, met in university uh, where they were both um, getting their doctorates in English literature. Uh, very good friends. Um, but unfortunately, when I was about four years old, they felt that their lives would be better apart. Um, and so um, they went their separate ways, always stayed very civil. And that was a really important part of my childhood and maybe another topic for us to, to talk about. But the fact that they continued to get along and I always felt like they had my best interests at heart um, was, was a really important factor. They both remarried and uh, stayed happily married for the rest of their lives. Um, and so in, in that way, I've sort of had four parents or kind of two parenting units. I definitely spent more time with my mom and stepdad growing up, but um, my dad and stepmom also had a really major impact on my life. And I, you know, saw them multiple times every month, often for full weekends. And so, um, and I, I talk to them every week. So it's, it's, you know, I've had a lot of different impacts in my life. As part of that, my mom would often drive me down to see my dad every every weekend or every other weekend, uh, a five-hour drive, which would m mean she and I would spend 10 hours in the car together just talking, talking about life, talking about life lessons. Um, and so I inherited, I think, a lot from her about the way that she sees life. Um, so I guess I have a few different answers, and it kind of depends on which parent you ask me about. Um, I'd say the one that I'd start with is the one that both my mom and my dad both were really uh, big on. So as you can imagine, they, they met in university studying English literature. They were both big readers. Um, and to them, it was really, really important that I be an active uh, reader and that I spend a lot of time with books growing up. 
Um, but really interestingly, one of their philosophies was that uh, it didn't really matter what I read. And so um, my dad took me to, we've mentioned them in a previous podcast episode, Kitchener Rangers games from the time that I was four years old. Um, and apparently I just wanted a program every single time we went. And I used to read that thing cover to cover. And as you know, you know, like you, I'm, I'm pretty heavy on stats and, you know, hockey trivia and all that stuff. Um, but really what I didn't realize at the time is that what it is, is it's just encouraging reading by giving you something that you're interested in. Right. And it doesn't really matter what the content is. So I would say the kind of thirst and hunger for reading, um, but also sports. I mean, I can't, I can't keep that part out of it. So uh, I put here as the kind of the first initial major thing that I've carried with me is reading and sports. And even if I don't pass the sports part, part onto my kids the I, I'm a big believer in the power of reading in books um, because it doesn't matter what it is it really doesn't matter you can read about anything in the world um, but just having that uh, kind of intellectual curiosity is a really really important thing just out of curiosity do you do you have you ever had this conversation with your wife like is there things that you'd know that your wife's parents have passed on to her hmm boy that's a really really good question um her parents are very different from each other. Um, and I mean, I can think immediately of like interests and hobbies. Um, I would say very much what she's, what she's got from her dad. And I don't know if she knows this or not is like an appreciation and value for enjoying life, which I know sounds very silly, but her dad is somebody who really finds joy in every moment and the importance of friendship and the importance of cherishing those friendships and just sitting on the deck with a beer and how that can be your life. That can be the entire happiness in your life and to find the joy in it. Um, and, and I think my wife has, has definitely kind of passed on that philosophy. Um, in terms of interest, certainly a lot from her mom, um, you know, value of, in arts. Her mom's really big into, into music and learning music. And so um, my wife's, uh, you know, very talented at both piano and violin. So I think a combination of both like tangible, practical things, but also maybe a little bit life lessons. What about you, Christian? Um, well, I'll start with my wife really quickly. Um, and cause the reason I was asking about your wife specifically was cause I just had a, a quick conversation before we, uh, before we hit record with my wife about what, you know, what she feels like she learned from her mom. And, uh, the two things she said was, um, so in a, in a hobby way, uh, was, uh, gardening and, and kind of that outdoor kind of, um, aspect of things. And she has definitely already passed that on to our daughter. Um, our daughter has this, um, amazing play set that is like a build your own garden that all like the mm, flowers and cool. stems are disconnected and you can build all of these like flowers and things. And I was like, Oh, great. Okay. So, yep. Not only does my wife spend a bunch of money at the, uh, you know, at the nursery, but, uh, but my daughter will too. So something to come in the future. But, um, but the one thing she always mentioned is no matter where they were, my, my wife wasn't really, um, I guess she said she didn't really have a whole lot of toys growing up, I suppose. Um, but she always said that no matter where they went, if she wanted a book, her parents would get her a book. And so you mm -hmm. mentioned that yeah. love of reading, um, and that kind of intellectual curiosity. So that is something that she, um, she always credits her, her mom more. So her mom was an educator, um, for, for a good chunk of her life. So she always credits her mom with that. 
Um, and it's definitely been passed on to our daughter because we have uh, a couple of big built-ins in our in our living room, and they used to be like you know decorated with knickknacks <laughs> and photos and whatever, and now there are just books. Beautiful everywhere. Sounds like um, heaven. I mean, it would, except that, like, my daughter likes to bring out the same two books, like, it seems like, <laughs> right. for two weeks straight. And we're just like, and, you know, and again, they're adorable when they come to you and they're like, oh, Dada, like, you know, this, this, read this. And you're just like, for the 16th time today? Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's see if the story changes, um, you know. But um, but for myself personally, um, you know, a couple of things that I think of right away. Uh, you mentioned kind of sports with your dad. Um, my dad, I, as you are aware, Chris, I know, and we've kind of made reference to in previous episodes. Uh, I think my love of baseball really came from my dad. Um, mm, yeah, he was a that. huge baseball nerd. I uh, still is, but I, uh, you know, that's one thing that I remember. He got me involved in baseball very young, was my coach very young, um, kept me going with that, but also just going to games, um, you know, the cerebral aspect of the game. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure we mentioned that both, you know, when we went on our road trips, we would um, actually score the games. Um, and that was kind of one of the nerdy things that once we both realized we did it, we knew we were going to be yeah. uh, My dad good friends for a long well. time. Um, and, and that type of thing. So that's one thing that I really remember from my dad. One thing, um, my, my mom off, often calls my dad and I twins 40 years apart. Um, <laughs> and, uh, one thing I feel like I inherited from my dad, whether or not it was instilled in me or not, um, was just this kind of, ability to roll with the punches and um you know just kind of be patient with what life throws at you um and my dad is an incredibly patient man and um whether my mom admits it or not um but uh no she would um but uh, i think that's something i've always maybe just seen in my dad as growing up as i was growing up and always just kind of really admired about him was just his kind of um, not that he wouldn't take things too seriously because he would definitely make things, you know, if they, if they were serious things, he would definitely be um, appropriate about those, but always just kind of, you know, level-headed and never mm. really um, kind of fly off the handle um, and, and that That's... kind of thing. And my, and just to kind of quickly close that my my wife, when we, when she, when we knew we were, um, you know, going to be expecting it as the baby was coming, she said, I really hope she gets your patience. <laughs> and I said, me too, me too. But, um, but, well said. Yeah. It's funny. That, I mean, that's, that's the version of your dad that I know as well. Uh, I mean, you know, the, there were some fairly serious things that he would have had to talk about over the last few years. And sure. every time that I talked about, talked to him, it was, it was relaxation, fun, joy, how you doing? You know, he, he just always seems so level and calm. And, uh, you know, I think it's a lesson for all of us for sure. Yeah. Just to quickly, and I'm sure this is something we'll get into in a, in a later podcast, but, uh, my dad has had cancer, uh, three times, uh, three different cancers on three different occasions. And every single time has seemed to be the um, the emotionally stable one of the family throughout Which all of so it. Which is so incredible. And, um, you know, and thankfully, um, all of them have been treated successfully uh, with relatively minor um, complication. Um, so I will say that in that we are extremely lucky in that way. Um, and, but, uh, you know, every, like you mentioned, every time you talk to him, he kind of just give you a shrug and be like, apparently I have cancer, you know, and he was like just very 
focused on everybody else and making sure my mom was okay um, as she struggled with the concept of her best friend and life partner having cancer and, you know, the, all the, all of these types of things. And that's something I certainly um, admire about him greatly. Um, but the, uh, the thing I got from my mom specifically, so my, as I mentioned, my parents are both educators and um, my mom specifically was heavily involved in uh, music as well as um, she taught kids with multiple disabilities for a good chunk of her career, the latter uh, kind of half of her career. And just the different learning styles that children have is something that I really uh, grew to uh, admire her understanding about. Um, and so, uh, Chris, I know as we talked about a little bit, um, I'm an avid musician, um, which I definitely attribute my uh, mom's side of the family, both her father and uncle and then herself. Uh, my brother is a professional musician as well. Um, and so uh, just being able to have that aspect of life and just all of the different, not only educational, emotional, um, you know, type of aspects that music can bring, regardless of what the outlet is for you, uh, you know, whether it is for relaxation, you know, emotional outlet, intellectual study, whatever it is, but just the value of what music can bring to a person. Um, and so my daughter is very much going to grow up um, with a lot of music already has, she loves it. She loves to dance. Um, and one of the things that my mom always does with her over FaceTime, uh, is sing with her. And so I think that that's something that I will definitely make sure that my daughter, um, you know, grows up, um, you know, having at least as a big part of her life in whatever aspect that ends up being, I'm not sure. But then also, um, as I just kind of mentioned the different learning styles, that children have, I think is something that I learned from my mom that I thought was a really interesting concept. Um, because when a child is developing, I mean, you think of there's, you know, there's, there's auditory, there's tactile, there's cognitive, there's all these different aspects of things that they, that they're doing and making sure that you are promoting all of those in some fashion um, and kind of figuring out learning styles is very, very interesting. And as my daughter has grown, um, it's very interesting to see kind of in the places she kind of excels or goes to naturally. So that's something I've really definitely picked up on. And then learning that every child has their kind of strength in terms of what their, uh, you know, learning style is. So that's definitely something I credit my mom with, um, which I uh, will, you know, which I certainly thank her for uh, continually, just kind of, again, being able to watch her, um, you know, excel at what she's good at and then try and pass it on to, uh, to my daughter. But the, the the next part of the conversation, which I'll just kind of talk about really quickly, is then, Chris, do you find yourself, and this might be a little bit harder for you to answer just being, again, a little bit earlier on in the game, um, but do you find yourself instinctually, uh, if, I guess is, is the word I'm looking for maybe, um, do you find yourself um, sometimes either reverting back to kind of what you remember as a child or like what you remember your parents being during your parent as you, as you are learning how to parent, like, do you find that mm, the things that mm. have been instilled in you or maybe just, uh, you know, whatever it is, whether it's kind of routines or the way things are approached, um, do you find yourself using those types of things or maybe that type of knowledge or what has been passed down to you from your parents? 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. It's funny, I was having this exact conversation with my mom today. We were on the phone together, and she was talking about, we were talking about her parents, so my grandparents, and um, the type of life that she had growing up, um, and that she was quite lucky to have quite loving parents growing up. And she said, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you'll find moments, she said she found as a, as a young mom, there were moments where she would say things to me and she would hardly believe that what came out of her mouth was exactly what her mom said to her. And she's like, I hear my mom in myself. Um, and I, I feel the same way. Um, you know, there are moments where I, I talk and I know that I sound like my mom or I know I sound like my dad. And I, I, you know, kind of realize in hindsight that I know that I've done that. Um, I think there's a few things in particular that I'll highlight that I, that I can think of like right off the bat. Um, one of the things that my mom did growing up, uh, was instill, I mean, as, as you know, uh, a love of trivia in me, hmm. um, trivia or kind of quiz. I mean, she, uh, we watched Jeopardy at every moment we could, but what so it good. really was in hindsight was just at every moment, there was always something to be learned, you know, and, and some little kind of piece of context or history or geography or something to be learned. And when I changed my uh, daughter's diaper, I list off all the countries of the world. Uh, and I'm just like, I don't even kind of realize what I'm doing like I know that I'm doing that but I don't realize in hindsight that I'm being exactly what my mom was and exactly what my opa was to her and exactly like my great-grandfather was to my opa just passing on these kind of pieces of information and instilling that kind of uh, desire to try to learn everything that, that you can um, I think the one thing that my um, I mean I'm sure we can dedicate an entire episode to the things that our moms taught us so you know mom if you're listening just know well first I love you but also that uh, I mean every piece of philosophy and everything that of who I am is so much because of you um, but I'll mention a few things that some of my other parents contributed that I that I see myself doing um, what <laughs> One of them is uh, something that my stepmom, uh, I think, values quite a lot, is this sort of intense love of family. Uh, and, you know, she's someone who's moved around the world so much um, and lived in so many different places. And yet, uh, at the end of it, still always, you know, calls her mom, you know, every week, uh, talks to her daughters, both of them every day, uh, sees her grandchildren every week. Um, you know, and just has this desire to always be near them and with them. Um, something that my stepdad instilled in me that I, I think philosophically, well, first off, not philosophically, he instilled in me fishing. I love fishing with him and I haven't fished with my daughter yet. So I can't say that that's something that I, uh, you know, she's three months old. She can't hold the rod very well. Um, I'm so not really as much into fishing as I am into casting. I'm really good at <laughs> yeah. casting. I can do that all day. Um, <laughs> Fishing, not so much. Never really get anything to bite. Yeah. So the, uh, <laughs> um, I think one thing that my my stepdad always did that, I mean, I just, I can't thank him enough for. And I wish he could listen to this right now, but I, I wish I could tell him every day that the, the best thing that he ever did was just love the heck out of my mom. I don't ever remember them having a fight growing up. All I remember is him coming home from work giving my mom a kiss that would always make me go, ah, oh, dad, oh, stop. Gross. And just always saying, you know, I love you and dear, and just being super, super affectionate um, with, with, I mean, with me, but also with my mom and just kind of seeing, 
like how important it is to be madly in love with that person. And I often find myself, if there's a moment when I'm frustrated, the first thing I try to think back to is like, how would my stepdad act in this situation? Mm. And would he, would he be acting this way? Would he look down on me if I was acting this way? And if he would, then I don't, I try not to act that way. I mean, I'm not perfect. I still, you know, make like, I still act in ways that I wish I didn't sometimes. But, um, I often try to think back, like, would my dad, after working at, you know, a terrible job where he's super tired and stressed when he comes home and still finds the energy to just be madly in love with his wife, if he would be happy with the way I'm acting, uh, then, then I'm happy with that, you know, when it comes to being around my wife and daughter. So that's, that's something that I, you know, kind of consciously think about, um, a lot, you know, when I'm, when I'm around my daughter, when I'm around my wife and I'm thinking, Am, am I acting the way that I wish that I, that I wish that my stepdad uh, was? Um, and then I'll, I've, I guess I'll, the last thing I'll mention in terms of finding kind of stumbling across it and finding myself acting a certain way and not realizing it is probably the person that I might be most like in the world. And that's my, my dad, um, who I know you've met a couple of times, Christian is just, yep. I mean, this incredibly philosophical and intelligent person, smartest man I've ever met in my entire life. Um, was an architect and then was a touring folk musician and then said, ah, heck, I'm going to become an English prof. And then after all that became a philosophy prof, like just decided because he just is so interested in everything. And, but through that all, what he teaches in philosophy a lot is the philosophy of education and learning um, and specifically kind of the contrast between dialectic learning. So conversational based learning versus didactic learning, um, where I'm sorry, dad, I'm not going to define this super well, but the contrast would be sort of sitting in a lecture hall and listening to what's being told to you. So reading a book is didactic where having a conversation with someone is dialectic. Um, and he's a big advocate for dialectic learning and, you know, hearing other people's perspectives and allowing that to shape your own perspective and kind of going back and forth. Um, and sort of the, his philosophy on education is that kind of papers and, and letters and all of that and grades don't really matter so much. I mean, we, they're kind of all artificial constructs of the education system, and it's all separate from actually just being satisfied with yourself at the end of the day in your own learning. And so I think that philosophy is something that I kind of carry with me when I'm when I'm thinking about how I want my daughter to grow up. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, I think every parent wants their child to go to university. But really, in the end, I just want her to be interested in the world and intelligent for her own sake and happy to have a conversation philosophically with someone else for its own sake and not make learning and education about a box ticking or achievement type thing, but really just how you feel about your own self. And so I would say that's something where I, I mean, I don't know if I'm consciously doing it or not. She's so young. I mean, it's hard to know if I'm reading a little book about polar bears, if I'm really engaging in the philosophical constructs of dialectic or didactic learning. But it's more just about sort of the general philosophy of, are, is she happy and is she satisfied with herself and her own learning? I don't know if that answers the question super well. But I would say that's something that I've definitely tried to pick up from my dad. Two things that I'm going to mention right off the top is now I'm just picturing you having just this very in-depth philosophical conversation with your daughter just about a polar bear in a book. 
And what does it mean and, to be polar? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. You're like, yeah, and I, then I'm just picturing your wife just like standing and shaking her head just <laughs> yeah. as she's as she walks by, just to be like, ah. Yeah. I think I mean I think I meant to talk about that part more in the what have your parents instilled in you part and less in the how have you passed it on to your daughter part. I think the part that I've passed on to my daughter is try to be affectionate around your wife. Uh, try to absorb pieces of learning at every moment that you can, and uh, try to respect your family. So I'm gonna I'll I'll answer the question with just those parts and maybe leave the philosophical part out of it. That's really funny. Um, well, one thing I was just going to touch on really quickly just to kind of finish off this segment um, is something that I really felt from my mom, feel from my mom, I should say, um, and is that you kind of mentioned the kind of just promotion of, you know, are they happy? You know, do they feel supportive in life? And um, one thing I, I do, um, you know, vividly, you know, recall is, is just, is, is just that from my mom is that for both my brother and I really is that whatever we decided we were going to do in life, she was always supportive of us. Um, now for those people who know my mom, um, as well, she is also the hammer, meaning that if you are out of line, uh, she will let you know. She was very much one to speak her mind and be unapologetic about that, but <laughs> would love very fiercely and would always be super supportive of anything my brother and I did. And even things that she didn't understand um, in, in that my, again, my mom is very much the uh, is was a, a brilliant educator for over four decades, um, but will admit that like science is not her, um, you know, not her strong suit. So as I started getting into medicine, she's like, I don't understand any of what you are doing, but like, how can I help you? Um, you know, in that kind of standpoint. And um, that was always something that I remember. And so again, yes, we kind of have our visions of what our, our children might be. But again, and I, I hope um, and maybe we'll tune back to this podcast episode at some point in the future and see if we've actually held true to this. But, um, you know, I hope that whatever my daughter decides that she wants to be, um, you know, is something that I will, you know, support her in um, and and love her fiercely throughout. Um, and so that's something that I definitely will try to um, instill. The one thing I was just going to mention real quick and I'll close out the segment is I don't think I've ever had a lighthearted conversation with your dad. It's always very deep and philosophical. And I feel like he blows my mind always just with some little phrase, you know, that's just like a comment about something that you're just mm. like, damn it, you're smart. And yeah. um, and uh, he definitely passed that on to you because I say that to you sometimes, too. Which um, which is the funniest thing, because like in the car, like what we do is we, we put in the Jerry Seinfeld I'm telling you for the last time CD that we've listened to 25 times and we just listen to it over and over and over again and make like little reference, dumb references from Frasier and Cheers and stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's like this kind of two, two worlds almost, you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a very like loving life type of guy, but he, yeah, yeah. He's, he blows my mind as well. Well, on that note, we're going to uh, take a quick break here. I'm glad you started to mention TV shows um, briefly because uh, when we come back, we're going to do a recurring segment that's going to be centered around uh, TV. Um, so uh, hang tight. We'll be right back. This is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Again, dadjokeloadingpodcast at gmail.com. Also at Loading Dad on Twitter. Um, but we will be right back. We'll take a quick break and come back and close out the show with one of our recurring segments. <laughs> 
Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Uh, we're happy you're back with us. This is Christian alongside one of my best friends, Chris. Um, and we're going to close out the show today uh, with a recurring segment um, that we have come to know as Rapid Fire. Now, listener and friend of the show, Joseph, um, has uh, reached out to us and contacted us and made, and made a very good point, which is, hey, guys, if you're going to call it Rapid Fire, make it more rapid. Um, and, and that is fair, Joseph. That it's is a fair point. That is it's a, a fair, fair point, point, friend of the show, Joseph. Uh, because we've listened back to them, and uh, I think our rapid fire segments were like 17 and 21 <laughs> minutes, respectively. Um, which is, 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 is funny because I mean, we get going with the, the concept of it, and then we're like, oh man, what do you think about that? And then we get on a tangent, which isn't really the point of the segment, but, um, but that being said, um, the, 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 the title of this rapid fire is called Simply the Best. And that will make sense to the listeners and to you, Chris, in a minute. But the reason I, I went with this rapid fire is because you had mentioned that I really needed to get involved with the show Superstore. Mm, I did. And, and I hear that you have. Is and I am on season two. Um, so I finished okay. season one. I'm on season two. And it is funny. That's it is really good. Really good. Really well done. Um, especially just within the scope of literally a big box store. They haven't really, um, you know, expanded outside of that at mm, all mm, um, at this point. And um, yeah, just a, a very, very funny start to finish. Even I think my favorite part not right so far is just those little like intro clips of just like random stuff happening in yes! the store yes! that are yes! just off the cuff yeah. to the side. And you're just like, what? And then they go into the actual <laughs> show. So good. Um, yeah, so the best good. one where where one of the shoppers comes up and smells one of the scented candles and just <laughs> takes a big bite out of it and puts it back down and walks away. <laughs> there was one that I don't even know why I laughed so hard, but it was just like an eight year old kid like in a Power Wheels car and he's wearing like a Danny Zuko like from Greece like leather jacket and he just drives by this little girl who's looking at a doll and just kind of nods at her and she just smiles and gets in the car and they drive away <laughs> and like you're just like where are they? parents like what is happening anyway uh rapid fire already too long yeah. um but no joseph this one's for you uh the most rapid or rapid is it rapidest or most rapid Ra i think rapidest i think rapidest okay. i mean i could i could be wrong we're gonna have somebody write in and be yeah we'll have so, we'll have uh yeah well you said your dad was an english prof at one point right so maybe we can yeah. ask him about that so we'll figure and that out for next episode he was a big believer in not using more something he'd say like it's not more fun it's funner so you know fun fact I mean, he's right because I mean, more is such a plain, you know, not adjective, but a plain kind of, you know, add, you know, add on to a word, you know, make it more vivid, make it something right. different, not just more whatever. Anyway, let me ask, let me ask a question before okay. we get into rapid fire. So do I, should I just say, you know, you'll ask me the question and I just say the words, the words of the answer. I would say like, let's keep it maybe to like a sentence. If that, like maybe you say it and then just like a quick seven to 10 word explanation if one is needed. And if not, just keep going. And then maybe at the okay. end, we can have a quite little discussion afterwards. Uh, but, I dig it. Okay. Dig so it. Um, anyway, this is going to all be based on TVs and movies. Um, I'll tell you why it's called simply the best uh, partway through. But uh, Chris, are you ready for rapid fire? I am ready. All right. Question one, favorite TV comedy. That is not what I call one of the big four, which is office community parks and rec or Arrested Development. So favorite I mean, comedy that is not one of those. 
That's a big four. I had a difficult time answering this question, but I had to go with the one I've watched the most, Modern Family. Mm, okay. Um, mine is going to be Schitt's Creek. Oh, classic. I love Schitt's Creek, and that's where Simply the Best comes from, because if you've watched the show, they reference that song multiple times. And, of course, uh, we have to say, Canadian! Canadian! All right, question two. Favorite TV show ending? So whether it's a particular epi- ending of an episode or a series. This was very difficult for me. Um, I went with Breaking Bad. Yeah, long, well-written, classic show. They could have they could have really messed up the ending. Um, but I, I, I liked the, the closure I got from it. Mm, okay. Mine was actually Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. I just kind of liked the way they kind of rounded it off. Sometimes they can do – it was a bit sappy, um, but they kind of did a little jaunt into the future just to see what people were up to. But just the kind of way they brought it to a close, I was okay with it. And because they did it when the show was still good. You can tell like some last seasons are not great, you know, of mm-hmm. things. Um, so anyway, that was mine. Well um, best or favorite fight scene in a mm. TV or movie? I had a hard time thinking about this one. I went with something that – always sticks with me that opening scene from casino royale mm. um we didn't know what to expect out of the daniel craig james bonds uh they've been incredible and that first scene out of casino royale kind of that chase scene through the you know the construction zone uh really really good so casino royale mine was actually from the kingsman if you've seen mm. that movie yeah, there's, yeah, a, yeah, there's a spot have, yeah, where colin good. firth just goes off and i think he murders like a hundred people in that little small church and just it, and it's not because he murdered a hundred people, but just the actual scene itself and all of the like crazy camera work and fights like that, a part of that. And it's all to the song free bird, which just made it so much more hilarious. Mm. Um, so mine, mine, that was the one that came to mind right away for me. All right. Next favorite sports movie. If you, if you would ask me 10 years ago, I would have said the sandlot, but I'm going to stick with baseball. My favorite movie, arguably of all time, Moneyball. Great book as well. Michael Lewis, shout out, great author, Moneyball. Uh, so you took mine. Uh, mine was Sandlot, and it's not even close. Yeah, nice. Um, well said. So um, n- nothing else need be said about that. Uh, favorite animated show? This one was a tough one, uh, but I'm going to go way back. Pinky and the Brain, which was a part of Animaniacs. So I'm going to cheat and say kind of Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs. But if I had to pick one, Pinky and the Brain. Okay. Uh, mine's The Simpsons. Um, and, Classic. uh, Simpsons, but I'm going to make a small caveat on that and say Simpsons, but it's early on Simpsons. So, you know, the first like 10 seasons or so, or maybe like seasons three to through 12, um, not as big a fan of the Simpsons these days, but what season are we at now? Oh, I think it's like 33 or 34. It's something ridiculous. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Next favorite superhero movie. Yeah, this was a tough one. I mean, you know, so many classic Marvel ones, but I actually went outside the Marvel universe uh, to maybe my favorite movie of all time, The First Dark Knight. Um, Yeah, classic. I mean, just all the mythos around Heath Ledger and everything. I won't go on. It's rapid fire. You know, Dark Knight, a classic. Um, Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really, really good movie. Um, I was also skeptical of Christian Bale as Batman, um, but uh, I think he did really well. Christopher, like the Christopher Nolan, did well with those movies. Um, yeah. Mine's Black Panther, um, and mm. um, maybe a little bit of recency bias, but um, no, I just think um, just the way they pulled off the movie, everything it represents. Chadwick Boseman, one of my yeah. favorite actors, um, and uh, so I think mine's Black Panther. 
Um, all right. Favorite streaming service original. So I mean, mm. maybe like, you know, like a Netflix original or a Hulu original of some kind. This was a pretty easy one for me, actually. Um, I went with uh, one that my wife and I got into together, Stranger Things. Um, probably watched it three times now. First time I watched it gave me goosebumps. Most recent season, incredible style, just brought it to a new level, Stranger Things. All right, okay. Um, uh, it, uh, Stranger Things is actually an, one of my answers to an upcoming question, so uh, foreshadowing. Um, but mine is... Um, Mine's the Mandalorian. Um, I'm just such a Star Wars nerd um, that when that came out, I think I've been, um, you know, obsessed with it ever since. Um, there's a whole bunch in the Star Wars universe on Disney Plus, so I could have got answered a couple of those, but I'll say Mandalorian. Yeah, I'm into it. That's a good one. Um, your favorite documentary style film? Yeah, this was arguably the toughest question. Favest, favorite documentary. I um, I had a bunch. So I'm, I'm going to list off a bunch and then say my favorite. The Last Waltz, um, Pelotero, which is also called Ball Player, um, Great Wall of Japan, um, Get Me Roger Stone, fascinating. But mm. honestly, the one that I just keep coming back to is it's not even like a super special documentary, but I just love the style and the topic. It's called Somm. S-O-M-M. And it's about uh, sommeliers studying for their um, their master sommelier exam, basically four friends together. And uh, it's awesome. Yeah. Psalm. Interesting. I've never heard of that. I will have to look that up. That sounds very interesting. I had Get Me Roger Stone as well um, up there on my list. But the one I'm going to go with is actually, um, it's on Netflix. It's called The Social Dilemma. Mm, if yeah, you have yeah, not watched that, it is fascinating in terms of how the creators of social media websites have basically just created monsters out of all of us. Um, and some of them actually, they're just remorse about all of it. It actually, to be honest with you, I don't have social media myself and it's because of that. Um, it actually got me to delete all of my accounts um, because I found out what they were doing. So uh, to me personally, as you say, if you like them, go nuts. But mine was that. Um, all right. Best under the radar show so this mm. is a show that maybe a lot of people don't know about but you are just obsessed with and you know you die on that hill saying it's a great show yeah um this is uh um you know there's so many possible answers but i think a lot of people know about anthony bourdain um but i think you know for people who don't watch cooking shows like they might kind of lump it in with just another cooking show it's so different i mean it's Definitely. not a cooking show at all um it's it's a it's a travelogue but um he had no pretentiousness about him at all may you rest and he could have yeah he absolutely could have um so of all of them you know i mean no reservations is a, is a famous one i quite like the layover um, where he goes to a city for, um, I think it's like 36 hours, and he basically just says, first you go here, then I'm going to go here, then I'm going to go here, you can't miss this. Um, so I'd say anything Anthony Bourdain, but if we're going something a bit under the radar, maybe his least famous show called The Layover, um, that's what I'm going to go with. All right. Um, mine is going to be the show Atlanta, um, mm, which is on Hulu. Uh, yes, Donald Glover, uh, Childish Gambino. Uh, I mean, I got into him obviously through Community, as listeners will know. That's kind of one of our favorite shows. Um, but yeah, uh, it's on uh, FX. Um, it's also on Hulu. But uh, Atlanta, really, really good. Um, and I feel like not well known. Um, all right, last question here: Show that you just don't understand the hype. Or it didn't live up to the hype for you. So is there a show that everyone's like, oh, man, I love this. And you're just like, I don't I don't get it. 
Well, I know where Stranger Things is falling in for you. Um, I'm going to go with How I Met Your Mother. Um, mm. I, I know there's going to be a lot of people who just crap on me for that one. I just, I mean, it's okay. Like, I'm not saying I hate it. I'm not I'm not trying to knock, knock it a lot. It's just... It just doesn't do it for me. I just uh, maybe it maybe it's something about how like sitcoms evolved from having the kind of the laugh tracker studio audience into kind of more that sort of mockumentary style that you see in The Office and Parks and Rec. And it just I didn't I didn't keep going in that kind of uh, sitcom realm. But yeah, How I Met Your Mother, maybe Grey's Anatomy, a close second. But yeah, those two again, I respect them. Not knocking why people love them. I don't hate them. Uh, just not something that I ever got into. So I'm going to use two as well. So you already know what my first one is, Stranger Things. Um, again, just, you know, hey, if you want to watch it, fine. I just don't get the appeal. Um, actually, my other one, to be honest with you, Breaking Bad. Um, I know that it 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 was a good TV show. I, okay, I, okay, okay, okay. Just let's be clear about when you say good, what you mean is potentially considered one of the top two or three most critically acclaimed shows of all time. So let's just be clear about what good means. So that's what people say. I just don't <laughs> see it. Um, I just didn't enjoy it maybe to the point that other people are like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, best, like you said, like easily top five show of all time. I just don't see it um, personally. Again, I will not argue if you told me you were just like, yes, in my top five, Breaking Bad is number two. I'd be like, OK. But I just, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just right, don't. Well, I actually stopped. I actually stopped watching it for a time. I like in the middle of season three um, and then kind of got away from it for a while because I was like, eh, and then got back into it. The ending, I will admit, like you said, is is quite good. I just, uh, I don't know. Well, thank you, listeners, for joining us on the last ever episode of Bad Joke Loading. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'm not going to take it away from anybody. I'm not going to take it away from anybody. I right. just personally just didn't. Uh, maybe, and maybe there's just something I'm missing about it, but I just didn't, uh, yeah, I don't well, know. I may disagree with your opinion, but I'll defend to your death the right to say it. Absolutely. But I s still disagree with your opinion. Yeah, no, and you have your right to your opinion, even if it's the wrong one. So that's all we have the time <laughs> for today. Um, but no, we, we really do appreciate you guys joining us this week. Um, Chris, it's been a pleasure as always, always fun as to, always. Uh, to chat with you. Um, and I feel like I learned a little bit about you today, just in terms of kind of what you learned from your parents and are in trying to instill in your child. Um, so that was really interesting for me. Um, but, uh, before we go, um, obviously a couple of quick thank yous, first and foremost, our wives and daughters, the reason we do this, um, let's be real. They're allowing us to do this. Um, and, uh, our producer, Ryan, again, who tries, he tries his darndest to make us sound yeah, half decent. Thanks, um, and, uh, the reason we do sound half decent is all is only and solely because of him. So we do appreciate that. Vichelle Murthy, vet cartoonist. Um, he is involved with our, you know, logos and imaging and all that type of stuff. And Michael Spicer music, um, for the, um, not only the original composition intro theme, but all the sound effects and everything you hear throughout there. So, um, that has been another episode. Again, get in touch with us, Dad Joke Loading Podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at Loading Dad. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, thoughts and comments about the show, interesting topics, questions, anything like that. Uh, recipes, fashion advice, you name it. Bad jokes. We are all for um, getting more dad jokes. Um, if there's one thing we love, it's another terrible joke. So, um, that being said, this has been another episode of Dad Joke Loading. Chris, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Um, and listeners, thank you for sticking it out with us. Again, this is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Bye.